It's Pet Chat on 2NURFM 103.7. We're going to start off with talking about emergencies. Yes, I thought that was a good topic following on from last week with accidents in the garden. Yep. Mm. Obviously, there's so many accidents that can happen and sometimes we need to get help really, really quickly. Um, David, obviously you are an emergency vet. What species do you um, tend, to pre- tend to come along or present at the clinic? What species are the most common? Well, I mean, any species, obviously, that can arise, although we've cut down on the elephant consultations recently. <laughs> um, look, representing, I guess, the balance of uh, pets in society is we're mostly going to see dogs and cats, uh, but we're also going to see rabbits and ferrets. We've seen... Um, mice and uh, I've even seen goldfish in an emergency yeah Uh, we also get the odd reptile comes through both a pet or of course wildlife and um, with wildlife it can be reptiles but more often we'll uh, see things like wild birds um, uh, possums for instance and uh, we've had even had uh, bandicoots and lizards and um, Kangaroos, yeah. Okay. So you then forward those on to uh, after they've been cared for back to the wildlife centres? Yeah, with wildlife it's interesting because um, we have to make a determination about how likely this uh, patient can be rehabilitated. And every species has a different set of rules, if you like, knowing, for instance, with uh, if you take a male brush-tailed possum that's injured for some reason, say it's been hit by a car, if it's very, very difficult for that uh, individual animal to be returned to that location if it's more than sort of 48 hours um, because they're very territorial. And so another male brush tail will move into the area very that quickly. quickly. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's females around, so he's got to look after them. So um, they're very territorial, and that actually impacts, you know, there's no point putting an animal back into the wild that obviously would be feeling a little bit under the weather, down, needs some time recuperating. And, uh, you know, there's stress keeping it in care, but then you have to balance it again. If we put it back out and it gets bashed up by another male. So it's not just um, those, for instance, wallabies and so on, they can often suffer uh, a thing called capture myopathy. So their muscles go into meltdown if they're um, not not handled properly Mm -hmm. when they're first collected and obviously that's kind of like well then they need to be severely injured for us to be able to capture them because otherwise they'll just run away and birds will fly away and unfortunately that's true so we're caught on this balance with wildlife especially that you know we have to make the best determination for the that individual to sustain itself in the uh, natural environment but um, back to the dogs and cats, I think it's um, that's pretty much the balance, most of what we'll see. Yeah. And with those um, dogs and cats presenting, what would be the most thing? Would it be trauma or what sort of... Why would, do they come? Well, look, we'd like to think it would be something exciting like that. Um, most of the time it's vomiting. Vomiting? Mm. Okay, mm. so ingested something they shouldn't have? Could be. and that And that's the thing about vomiting is a symptom. It's not a disease. So actually... We need to determine, you know, it could be something as simple as, well, he ate last night's ham and he's got a bit of gastritis or is it he's got a twisted bowel and he needs surgery in the next hour um, or else he might die. So, you know, that can vary from those very, very mild cases to the very severe ones. And 
you know, when an animal just comes in with vomiting, I guess we, we just have to be ready that it could be any one of those things. Mm. Well, obviously, early intervention is really important. So how, mm. how does a client know or the owner know to come along to you? What, what, um, what are the signs that usually they would be looking for? And do they, should they ring you either? You know, is that something that they should do? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. We get asked a lot. And um, obviously, earlier intervention is better. Um, to prevent these things, um, problems uh, deteriorating. Probably the, the, there's two parts to that. One mm. is to have some knowledge of what those problems can be. Um, just from a, you know, my pet is a bit, little bit unsettled to say my pet can't sit down properly or they uh, can't lie down because they seem to have trouble breathing. That's obviously a much more severe problem than if um, he seems to be licking at his toe and that's all it is. So you can find a lot of that information on various websites as far as um, pet emergencies are concerned. And we have some list of those things as to what would constitute an emergency. That's the first thing. The second thing is that pet owners are the ones who know their pets the best. Yes. So my thought and advice is that if you notice something that's untoward, that you think your pet is behaving in a slightly different way, then observe that and probably as you said just ring up and ask the question you know is it something to be concerned about and I think for most cases I always have a general rule if someone rings after midnight if they ring us after midnight we almost always need to see that pet because it's kind of like they've escalated it why would you be up after midnight ringing a vet Yep. So the worry's there and there's has, obviously a problem. Yeah, sometimes people ring us and it's 5.30 in the, or 6 o'clock in the afternoon and they say, well, he's been like this for three weeks and I just got home and I've noticed it more and I had a moment to spare when I'm not running around after the kids or whatever. Um, but And that kind of thing might be okay to get it checked out the next day. But if it's something that's got you out of bed in the middle of the night, for your own sanity, for yeah. your own... Peace your, of mind, isn't it, as yeah, well? exactly. Yeah. For your own peace of mind, let's get it checked out. And if it turns out not to be anything, then absolutely, I think you've, uh, you know, looked after them well. Yeah, because it, it really is a worrying thing. You know, you, you, they can't tell you what's the matter. You've got to judge for them mm. and things like that. Mm. Um, are you finding more and more people having pet insurance as well? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of international experience around this. So we can compare the situation in Australia to what we're seeing overseas. And um, a lot of people have got different thoughts about it. And I, I think that by and large it works out as a good thing. Yep. But it has to be an individual decision. Uh, I don't know what the current um, kind of take-up rate is, but it's certainly escalating. And, I, I you know, if I go back, um, I've been in emergency work for 15 years, we would see one patient a week that we had to fill out the paperwork for. And now we're getting two to three a day. Okay. Because that obviously can help some people make the decision about, you know, proceeding with um, surgery and things like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's always the case that, you know, when we make decisions to go ahead, we have to look at what is the medical problem? Yep. What are we dealing with now? What are the nursing problems or the things that you go home with? For instance, if your dog's a diabetic, you're going to be injecting them twice daily for the rest of their life. So there's some big commitments. And the third thing is what are the financial commitments? And it, as you say, it takes away some of that um, question for people to stop them going ahead with care. Yeah. Well, obviously, it's very important for people to um, 
to put phone numbers, their VEPS phone number and the emergency centre phone numbers in their phones because time is really critical for some dogs and cats. Mm. It's really funny because the technology's changed so much and I remember when we first opened and as I said, it's like 15 years ago, we had a big map on the wall and people would say, oh, I'm in this suburb and I'd say, okay, drive past this place and then turn here and turn there. And when sometimes when I answer the phone, I'll still do that and they say, no, no. GPS. Just tell me the address. <laughs> and, of course, you just plug it into your GPS. So, absolutely, you, anyone who with pets, I think you do need to say, okay, well, if something happens and it's 10 o'clock at night, what is my vet? What are their services? Yes. What can I do? Because um, you don't want to be working that out at 10 o'clock at night. You want to work that out six months before. That's right. And it's just sort of keeping a, a good plan, isn't it? Uh, you know, you never want anything to happen, but you want to have a plan if, it's, um, if, if something does happen to save all of that anxiety and that yep. stress. Like for ourselves, you'd, you know, say, okay, where's, where's the nearest hospitals? Yeah. Um, and, you know, where do we go? Yep. Talk to your doctor, talk to your, we call them GP veterinarians. Um, they cover everything and they'll give you the best advice. Yeah. Well, thank you, David. It's been an, an eye-opener. No and, worries. Um, Thanks, Cheryl. I enjoyed that. All right. See ya. Jeez, I'm very surprised that just hang up the phone. Yeah. I'm very surprised that you treat goldfish. It's been a while. Yes. Just, just is there a toilet involved or? <laughs> Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a mute button for, <laughs> for that comment? <laughs> You're going to upset all the goldfish owners. But okay, I just didn't think. No, absolutely. Goldfish would be that Hi. concerning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, a lot of people have. Very strong bonds with their pets for all sorts of reasons. And, um, you know, most of the problems we see aren't necessarily emergencies, like, yep. say, for that. Um, but I have seen. Yeah. I suppose it would depend on what sort of goldfish it is as well, though. Well, all goldfish are created equal in my mind. And, David, you've got a bit of a topic about chocolates, mm. but not the good kind. Oh, no. Well, chocolates. That's good for us. Yes. <laughs> but not good for dogs. Well, you know, it's funny that someone asked me that once, if um, dogs get poisoned by chocolate, can people? And I say, yeah, it's possible. but if you, you, if you have enough. Yes, and you will get sick from the sugar load and the fat load in it before you would actually get sick from the um, theobromine, which is the compound in chocolate that gives us that little bit of a buzz. It's also found in um, uh, coffee in a small quantity, but also in Coffee contains, of course, caffeine, and those compounds all come from a group called methylxanthines. So they kind of have a similar effect. They stimulate cells. They stimulate the level of a molecule called um, CAMP, which acts on a lot of different systems within cells. Um, but dogs are particularly sensitive, so it's a stimulant. So they start to shake and tremor. Uh, they can have some vomiting but a lot of them then can go on and suffer seizures. Their heart can go into an arrhythmia. Um, interestingly, if at high doses, the heart can speed up, but then it can also slow down, and sometimes it does it um, straight, like in sequence. So the heart rate will go from normally it's 120, it'll go up to 240, and then it'll drop back to 60, and then all over the shop, and it makes them very, very sick. And if, that, uh, if they have had too much of the compound, um, then it can actually cause coma and death. So dogs are very, very sensitive. Um, what we do know is that if uh, different types of chocolate, you know, you talk about your regular milk chocolate, um, that's less, contains less of the uh, cocoa and less of the compounds. So 
it's less toxic, but nonetheless, if they ingest a certain amount, it will cause some problems. And we had a little dog in a hospital last night that had actually ingested some 70% uh, lint chocolate, so causing some problems for him. Um, luckily, we got a lot of it out of him. But the thing about chocolate is once it's in their system, it gets absorbed very quickly. So even if you are able to get your dog to the vet and they can make them vomit, they've often absorbed enough of the chocolate compound, like within 15 to 30 minutes, that they would have ingested a toxic dose. Um, the problem that we get is that it's very hard to get out of the body. So it's actually excreted through the kidneys into the urine, but the theobromine gets reabsorbed across the wall of the bladder back into the bloodstream. So they're basically recycling and repoisoning themselves over and over and over. So that means that they need to be in hospital for a period of time. And there are treatments that we can provide that are going to address that. But just be aware because uh, you may think that you've got your chocolates put away, you've got the secret stash put away for Easter and so on. Um, but as we know, dogs are very good at smelling these things and apparently unwrapping them, I found out last <laughs> night. So. Or they'll just ingest the whole lot. And then if it's not the chocolate, it's the foil and the wrapper that causes yep. a problem. Mm. I remember years ago, um, we had a beagle and my sister was over from America and she had like chocolates all stored in a bag. Mm. It found it yeah, and well, it destroyed it. It's a beagle. <laughs> Beagles have got a nose for that sort of thing. But it was all right though, thankfully. Luckily, yeah. 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 Dep depends on the amount they ingest, the size of the dog and the nature of the chocolate. You know, dark cooking chocolate or even uh, what was the conversation we had recently was about the um, composting, the cocoa hus. The, yeah, the you, cocoa mulch. Yeah, cocoa mulch. Like that's actually quite toxic. So... Um, you know, it just really depends on what they get access to. But the best best advice is um, keep them away from everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> more more for us, less for them. <laughs> Fair enough. It's Pet Chat on 2NUR FM. Well, we've got Bruce from Belmont, and he's got a rescue puppy with a bad smell. G'day, Bruce. Hey, g'day. How are you going? Not bad. How can we help? Yeah, I've got a little rescue puppy. I think he's a cross cattle dog, border collie. Um, he's a great little dog. But he has a terrible smell. Um, if he was a human, you'd think he had BO. I mean, he loves the cuddle, and we love cuddling him. Yeah. But when you, um, you've finished playing with him, you come away smelling really bad. Um, and you, your clothes and your, your, um, your body smells. So, um, mm. yeah, what's, what's, what would be causing that? So how old do you think he is? He's about six months old. Right. And how long have you had him for? had him for probably three months and you've probably bathed him a fair bit have you yeah trying to uh, get rid of the smell but yes. the um the smell just seems to recur all right and what have you bathed him with um a flea shampoo just okay. a, a basic flea shampoo because he does scratch a little bit so um i thought you know yep. that might that might be causing some problems <laughs> Yeah. yeah, look, it's interesting because oftentimes with that smell, we associate that with a yeast infection on the skin. And so the, the yeast that we can see usually is a malassezia, sometimes candida, but it's a malassezia is the most common one. Um, it can be secondary to allergies and sometimes it can arise in younger dogs um, and older dogs for that matter, just as its own infection, if you like. Um it's really something that you need to do. You need to go see your vet about this because a uh, couple of things. One is it's pretty hard to get rid of unless you've got the right medication. 
Uh, secondly, there might be another, another underlying cause. Um, thirdly, uh, the diagnosis of it, you could try various shampoos, but you might just go around in circles until you get the right one. So what the vet does is they do what's called a skin tape, and they'll actually put some sticky tape, just regular old sticky tape, on the skin, and then they take that and they will stain it and they have a look under the microscope and they'll be able to see the yeast on there if that's what's causing it, in which case then they'll be able to prescribe uh, appropriate medication. So sometimes it's shampoos, but in some cases we also have to add in oral medication, just depending on the extent of the you know the skin problem and um, how bad it is and what other treatments that you've tried. So I'd su suggest a, a vet visit for this one because... Otherwise, you're going to be chasing the, your tail on this for the next six months. Okay. All right. Good luck with Alrighty. that. Let us know how you get on. Okay. Thank you. No worries. Yes, thanks, Bruce. And we've got Peter now from Minmai, and he's got a question about his rosella. G'day, Peter. Hello. There you going? Yeah, not bad. Um, I've got a crimson rosella. Mm-hmm. And see, one month, maybe six weeks ago, I couldn't stop it whistling. No, I keep whistling all the time. I was really happy. Right. Now, I've, I've noticed in the past, say, say a week, it just, it's just sort of wants to sleep. It won't, you know, mm. don't say nothing. And, you know, plus it's, it's lumping when it's, there's something wrong when it's like, it's right claw. You know, I'm just sort of right. wondering how, how long, how long does our Rosella, you know, live? Well, things like that. So how how old is this one? Do you think? Well, I reckon it's just on twenty. Oh old. wow, yeah. yeah. Um, and you've had him for most of that time, I guess. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, to start, if we, hmm, I was just thinking because with these, uh, a lot of these Australian parrots breed in the winter. In fact, there's um, uh, they start some of them are they're all over the shop to be honest, but we do see. Um, I know that there's corellas and stuff that have got fledglings around near where I live. Um, and I'm not sure about rosellas. I haven't seen any babies around. But usually, I, if I, my memory serves me, we tend to see them breeding in winter. And I was just wondering about his singing and everything, if that was related to that, that he was starting to notice the change in weather and season. But the uh, when he stops, that's a concern. So yeah. now that he's stopped doing that and he's got uh, this swelling on his leg, I, I would be quite concerned about that. There's a lot of things that could be causing that. Um, when birds get kidney disease, from whatever reason, they develop gout. And that can cause uh -huh. lumps on their leg and very painful. Um, uh -huh. Gout is made up of uric acid crystals. Now, people, as you know, can get gout. And that's because we don't yeah. um, metabolize the uric acid as quickly in people we've got it um, but usually we we actually produce the end product is a compound called urea which is soluble in water but uric acid is not mm -hmm. soluble in water and so that's why their droppings are white and that's the uric acid crystals but if they've got kidney disease the uric acid accumulates in the blood and eventually in the tissue um, and it causes this thing called tophi t-o-p-h-i uh, which can mm -hmm. be under the skin, and they're quite painful. They can ulcerate, they can get infected, uh, they can be in the joints. And um, so it's possible that we could be looking at a problem with his kidneys. Um, and certainly there are other things, things like tumours and so on, that I would want to get him checked out. So 
My advice is... There's, there's not many vets really know what to do with the bugs, you know? Well, you, you'd be surprised. There's actually a couple around your area um, who have had a lot of experience working with birds. And um, so I think if you... Uh, there's vets in Edgeworth and Westwall's End um, who would be well served to look after you and they do lots of bird work. So, yeah, that's good. Um, and that's not, that's just that, down the road. Every time it's on its stick, on this, it just leans over. It's head's just hanging down, although it's just up. I yeah. didn't think it would last this long, you know, but it is. I, yeah. I think you need to, you jump off the phone from me and you give them a call. So, Thank you very much. All right. All right. Good luck, Peter. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. But, David, I believe you were at a conference over the weekends. Yeah. yeah. We, we were quite privileged, actually, oh. in Newcastle. We yep. was in Newcastle. Oh, I see. You didn't have to travel far. Well, I had to travel from my house at Katara oh, okay. into yep. town. Uh, but we had the new, the Australian Veterinary Association New South Wales um, annual conference held okay. in Newcastle. It was fantastic. We had a, a special guest speaker came over from the University of Pennsylvania, Associate Professor Erica Reinecke, uh, talking, of all things, Cheryl, you love this, the topic and the theme was emergencies. Oh. Ah. Very handy. I know. I know. It was fantastic. So, yeah, we had fun. Um, and uh, we had a few of our guys there, myself included. We actually gave a few presentations. Yep. So that was fun. Uh, I got to talk about um, snake bite management for dogs, which um, is always a great topic. Yeah. Um, and I got to show lots of pictures of snakes. And I've got oh. some here I wanted to share with you guys. Oh, no, excellent. no. Oh, no. Cheryl's a bit averse to the uh, pictures <laughs> of snakes. Is it just reptiles in general or just snakes? Just snakes. Well, because I actually brought one in, in my bag. <laughs> Hang on. Stop it. You're scaring me now. So we got to talk well, about... seems to be empty now. <laughs> he's here somewhere. He's, he's going around the studio. Um, it's all right, Cheryl. He's just a python. <laughs> it's fine. He's here somewhere. Uh, so we had... Uh, and I gave another presentation on CPR... Um, we had presentations on um, paediatric emergencies, like for puppies and kittens, uh, seizure management, the uh, cats with blockages in their urinary system. We had uh, toxicities in the garden, which was given by one of our vets, uh, Natsuku. So that was really topical. To, it wasn't an American topic. It yep. was about Australian, in fact, Newcastle uh, problems that we see. And um, we also had some of our nurses presenting on things like fluid therapy and monitoring a uh, animals under um, critical care or anaesthetics. So great fun. We had a big roll-up. There was about 100 people, and we were in at the um, Newcastle Exhibition and Convention Centre, which is the old workers' club. Yep. Been done up. Looks great. Um, and, yeah, it was great. We had people from everywhere. They were coming from, from Victoria, from Queensland, from all over New South Wales. And okay. they said to me they want to come back. Newcastle, oh, they they loved it. Newcastle is a great place. That's, that's excellent. So we've also won a bit of tourism while we're there as well. Won it, yeah, yeah, we did. We, uh, you know, there's always a social side to these things. <laughs> <laughs> so good. we enjoyed that as well. It was great to have them all here. You might have to try go to New York or something for the next one or... For the New South Wales conference? Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> Offshore. <laughs> Extend the branch out somewhere else. Well, we've um, travel around to various places, so it's you know it's good to pay back and have a, have them visit Newcastle every once in a while as well. Very good. Nice to the big turnout there as well, and all sorts of people mm. in different and areas. Absolutely, I uh, learnt um, a bit talking to people about you know their cattle practice. 
a couple of people uh, doing a lot more horsework. I did horsework 20 years ago and got out of that field. So, yes, apparently horses still have four legs and, oh. um, yeah, but they can still kick pretty hard. So <laughs> I think I worked out where I was going wrong. That's the main thing. Well, excellent. Well, guys, that's mm. all for us today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. No worries. I'll see you two next week. Yep. Yep. Oh, happy days. That's, what, three weeks in a row? It is. Yeah, then I'll have a couple of weeks off. Uh-huh. Fair enough. That's right. Sadly missed. <laughs> I've got to go and eat Easter eggs. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>